Have you ever wondered why God made male and female? Today more than ever, this is an important question. There's so much cultural pressure to deny or relativize gender distinctions. Wouldn't you like to have a clear, biblically-based understanding of why God made us as men and women and how it fits with his eternal purpose? In this short article, I'd like to give you three reasons why God created us as male and female. Genesis tells us God made us male and female to be his image bearers. That means his decision to give us gendered bodies wasn't arbitrary, nor was it just for practical reasons like making babies. It was necessary so that we could have the capacity to bear his image. That's why Christians can't join culture in redefining gender as a social construct. God has given our gendered existence eternal significance in three very important ways. First, gender differences reflect God's holiness. When we say that God is holy, we often think of his moral perfection and his righteousness. While this is part of it, God's holiness refers to how utterly unique he is. The word holy in the Bible means set apart or make sacred or make distinct. Israel sang to the Lord in Exodus 15:11, "Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness?" What they meant was that God is absolutely unlike any other thing in all of creation. He exists totally and utterly apart from anything or anyone else. That's why the second commandment is not to make any idols or images to depict or represent God, because doing so equates God in some way with his creation, and that would be a direct denial of his holiness. So, God is holy because he is set apart. He's sacred or utterly distinct from his creation. It's no surprise, then, to see in Genesis 1 how this holy God creates by setting things apart. If you just follow the six days of creation, you see this so clearly. On day one, he sets apart light from darkness. On day two, he sets apart the waters above, that's the sky, from the waters below, that's the seas. On day three, he separates or makes distinction between the land and the water. And he fills the land with vegetation and plants and fruit trees bearing seed and fruit after their own kind. On day four, he creates luminaries in the sky to separate day from night. On day five, he creates creatures to fill the separated sky and seas, each after their own kind. And on day six, he creates living creatures to fill the separated land, again, each after their own kind. And the most significant work of setting apart or making distinct that God accomplished in his creating work was making humanity. God created man according to his kind or his likeness, and it tells us that he made them male and female. The male-female gender distinction, then, is far more than a functional necessity for making children. It is a lasting imprint of God's holiness, which he intended his creation to reflect. In this respect, gender is sacred because it's a reflection of God's holiness. Secondly, gender differences reflect God's nature. Our Western culture trains us to think of bearing God's image only in individualistic terms. But humanity as a whole was created to reflect God's image, not just individual people. As such, the male-female gender distinction is one of the most significant ways in which humanity reflects God's nature as Trinity. The Bible teaches us that we serve a triune God, that God is one in his being, he's one God, 
but three in his persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So in God's own being, in his own nature, he reflects both unity and diversity. Number two, gender differences reflect God's nature. Our Western culture trains us to think of bearing God's image only in individualistic terms. But humanity as a whole was created to reflect God's image, not just individual people. As such, the male-female gender distinction is one of the most significant ways in which humanity reflects God's nature as Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity teaches us that God is one in his being, but three in his person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In this way, God possesses in his own nature both unity and diversity. He is the one God who has existed from all eternity, enjoying eternal and loving fellowship among the three persons of his being. In creating humanity as both male and female, God has likewise given us the capacity for bearing a resemblance to this unity in being and diversity in persons. Genesis 2 verse 18 to 25 tells us that God created Eve by taking one of Adam's ribs. Did you ever wonder why God didn't just use another clump of dirt the way that he did when he made Adam? They would still have been of the same kind, but apparently God was interested in them being something more. Notice what Adam says upon God's presentation of Eve to him. He says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, a reflection of unity. But he also says, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man, a reflection of diversity. The summary statement of verse 24 reinforces this unity by describing the one flesh union of marriage. It's not that husband and wife become one body, but the closeness created by the sexual union in marriage illustrates the kind of relational love and union existing within the Trinity. Just as God is one and three, a man and woman become one and two through the marriage union. When they are also joined together in Christ, there is a threeness as well. But we'll leave that for another time. Number three, our gender distinction reflects God's love. In Ephesians 5, 25-33, the Apostle Paul writes to husbands, teaching them how they are to love their wives. The model he gives them is Christ's love for the church. Jesus gave himself up, Paul writes, for his church, because it is his beloved bride, united and bound to him as his own body. Likewise, Paul says that a husband's wife is a part of his own body. He says, he who loves his own wife loves himself. For biblical support, he then quotes Genesis 2:24, and the two will become one flesh. His message is clear. The one flesh union of marriage between a husband and a wife illustrates the kind of love that Christ has for his church. In the unique bond of marriage, man and woman are bound so tightly together that you cannot reference the life of one without including the other. If you hurt the one, you hurt the other. If you do good to the one, you do good to the other. This was God's intention and purpose, and it wasn't just to make marriages a stable and robust foundation for human society, which they are. According to Paul, it was so we could have, in part, an observable and experiential understanding of the depth of love that God has for his people. Conclusion. There is a simple reason why Christians can't conform to society's attempts to blur the boundaries between the genders. It's not because we're bigots or phobic. It's not because we want to deny people their rights or maintain our traditions. It's because gender is sacred. 
It isn't something manufactured by society and culture. It's an eternally significant work of God intended to reflect and represent his own holy, triune, and loving nature throughout his creation. We dare not mess with that.